Hello everyone and welcome to Motos and Friends, a podcast brought to you by the editorial team at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Motos and Friends is brought to you by the Yamaha YZF-R7, the comfortable super sport machine. Check it out at your local Yamaha dealer or of course at yamahamotorsports.com. In this week's first segment, Editor-in-Chief Don Williams gives us his impressions of the new Honda CB500F. This middleweight motorcycle with a parallel twin motor is easy to ride and all-around super user-friendly. Is it too much for a beginner? And equally, the question is, does it have enough to satisfy the more experienced rider? Don gives us his thoughts on whether there's really a place in Honda's lineup for the CB500F. In the second segment of this podcast, I chat with one of my good buddies and riding friends, Alonzo Bowden. You may have seen one of Alonzo's shows as a stand-up comedian. Actually, he won the final of the competition show, Last Comic Standing. We went to see one of his shows a few weeks ago at the Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, California. And let me tell you, he was brilliant. Side-splitting, laugh-out-loud funny. His commentary on people and the human condition is absolutely hilarious. I'd recommend everyone to go see him, especially if you're in need of a laugh. Alonso is a longtime motorcycle rider and has owned a large variety of machines. He's got some real opinions on the various bikes he's ridden, so I hope you find this section of the podcast as interesting as much as it is funny. If you fancy going to see Alonzo's live show, you can check out his schedule at alonzoboden.com. That's Alonzo with a Z and Bowden spelt with two Ds. You can tell him that Ultimate Motorcycling sent you. So, from all of us here at the magazine, we hope you enjoy this episode. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true super sport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. So we are going to talk about the Honda CB500F, I believe. Yes, we are. Uh, Honda updated it this year. Uh, the, the main change is in the front end. They basically put a whole new front end on the bike. Uh, they got rid of the uh, conventional fork and threw on a pair of Showa SFFBP forks. Of course, not everybody knows what that stands for, but basically what that means is without even going into what the initials stand for, uh, the spring is on one side, the damping is in, is in the other uh, fork tube that simple. Uh, having said that, uh, there's no adjustment. So it's, even though it's an inverted fork and it has the separate functions, uh, it's still a uh, you know, non-adjustable fork, which as we'll get into is actually fine. Uh, also gone from last year is the big 310 millimeter disc. Uh, they've 
pulled that off and they put on a pair of 296 millimeter discs. Oh, wow. And they're radially mounted, which is nice. So you have ABS standard, radial mount calipers, twin disc instead of a single disc, inverted fork instead of a conventional fork. And that's the, the primary changes uh, for the bike this year. Now, there are some other changes that came in. Uh, they, all, they, made a, they did a bunch of little things, like they lightened the swing arm a tiny bit and made a couple of uh, other places where they pulled off a little bit of weight. There's new wheels, but it's all a bunch of little things kind of to counteract the weight of you know, having two discs instead of one and the inverted fork instead of the traditional fork. So the bike's four pounds lighter. Uh, even though it has some components that are heavier and then they lightened up other components to, to make up for that. Now, when you ride the bike, unless you have the old CB500F uh, nearby, you know, you're not going to really notice this huge difference. But when you're riding, it just kind of has that more of a, just a feel of confidence that you have. And so a lot of it's mental. And as we know, riding motorcycles is a mental experience, not just <laughs> physical. And when you know you have an inverted fork and you know you have the twin discs, you know you have the ABS, you have a lot of confidence in the front end. So you feel like the friend's going to be good. And before, when you had the conventional fork and the single disc, you're kind of like, okay, it's, this is a good bike. And this is, you know, a, a nice urban bike and I get into the twisties and I can ride it and that's good. But now you just have that little bit more mental confidence in the front end. I wrote it a lot, Kelly wrote it a lot. And in fact, we were doing a photo shoot, even the idea of confidence in the front end, we were doing the photo shoot. Kelly was scraping the pegs up on Mulholland uh, Drive. Wow. Not Mulholland Highway, which you guys are used to, but Mulholland Drive, the one that runs between LA and the San Fernando Valley. Right. You know, it has the, Michelin rode five tires you know she felt totally confident riding the bike now one thing that makes a rider confident is having less power when you're working with just a, a, a twin and this is just a 471 twin it's not even a 500 full 500 you know you're not working with a ton of power so you ultimately can ride the chassis much more aggressively than you can if you were on say even a Honda CB 1000 R let alone, you know, a super bike or something like that. So you can really push and feel like, you know, the bike's not going to get out of control. It's not going to do anything squirrely. You know, it doesn't have traction control, but just the natural development of the power from the twin is its own <laughs> traction control. And it just, the bike feels really good. You know, you obviously have to ride it within the reasonable bounds of, of what this bike is. You know, it's, it's a $6,700 motorcycle but it's, it looks great. You know, it's got good tires, got good suspension, not a, none of it adjustable except for, you know, spring preload in the, in the shock, throw somebody on the back. And, but it gives you that confidence that again, somebody like Kelly, no problem. I'll just scrape the peg through this corner, you know, and the bike doesn't feel even upset doing that. You know, it's always good when the ability of the tires exceeds the cornering clearance available. So you can ride that motorcycle, you know, pretty much as hard as you want. And it'll tell you when playtime is over, I'm scraping the pegs, that's all you get. But up to there, you know, it feels really good. You know, we rode it a lot in town, probably more than anything, it's a great urban bike. Uh, the seat height isn't too high. Uh, you're sitting nicely upright. It's very agile. And you can ride around town all day long. It's got a slip and assist clutch. 
you know, if you're down shifting too hard on that bike, you're probably just riding it too hard in general. But the assist on the clutch is always nice. You know, that that's one of the great technologies that's been developed in the last 10 years or so where, you know, they use the torque of the motor to assist the clutch being pulled in. And even Harley has, you know, instituted that on, the, on its bikes. People get that you don't want a heavy clutch pull. And especially if you're riding around town, you're going through traffic, you know, that just gets tiresome. And having the lighter clutch pull, which this has, is just a great thing. So, you know, the power is delivered in a completely linear way, you know, flattens out on top. So there's a little bit of over rev. There's no surprises on this motorcycle. You're going to go, whoa, what did that? What's that? Oh boy, the, you hit this many RPM and all of a sudden it takes off. It doesn't do that. It just runs in a straight line. If acceleration, completely consistent. And so you always know what you're going to get at whatever throttle input you have. And that's, and then again, that gives you more confidence in the handling. You know, uh, obviously this isn't a, a high-end chassis, but because the motor is so friendly, it allows you to exploit the chassis for all that it's worth, which is, as we know with Hondas especially, which is always gonna be quite a bit more than you think that you would get for what it is. You know, as we've always talked about how the Goldwing is an amazing handling bike. As big and gigantic as it is, that bike handles amazing. You know, you don't expect that on something that big. And on this, it's you don't expect that what, how well this bike handles for how inexpensive it is. So Honda really nailed it again. The upgrades are kind of interesting. You know, you always wonder what's behind these. It's like, well, did they really need the inverted fork? Did they need really need the twin discs? Do they need the new wheels then to make it lighter so that to make up for those additional weights? Do they need to do something with a swing arm? It's like they do all these changes and you know, oh, is that all necessary? And uh, it did make it for a better motorcycle, you know, and how much extra sales they get out of that is really hard to say because the other, the previous 500F was great. You know, it wasn't a bike that we sat around and go, man, if only this had inverted fork or oh, wow, don't I have twin discs? You know, <laughs> you just... It, it worked fine within the parameters of, of what it was and you didn't, you didn't have any like real complaints. Now, while I'm talking about this, one of the strange things and Kelly and I were talking about this is you're familiar with the Honda has the Neo Sports Cafe line. Right. And that's supposed to be their, you know, kind of futuristic looking, but sort of retro-y a bit look. And that's the CB1000R, the CB... 650R and the CB300R. But oddly left out from that is the CB500F. Those other three bikes, you know, they all come from the very clearly the same family. Those are all the R's. And for some reason, the 500 is, is stuck at the, the lower end F and is not considered part of the Neo Sports Cafe look. So it looks, in especially the bike, the CB. 500F looks like the CB650R. Those two, even though one's a twin and one's a four-cylinder, have very much, they're like brothers. They have, they're both black. They both have the same bronze accents on the valve cover and the engine side cases. So it's like, you know, I asked Honda about it. They said, well, we're differentiating. And, you know, a bunch of stuff that really didn't make any sense. <laughs> Their explanation <laughs> made no sense at all. So I, I, would, I would love to, you know, be able to dig into somebody and say, why is this bike not a Neo Sports Cafe model? Because it clearly fits 
exactly into that category. You know, if you look at the Honda website and you look at those bikes, you say, well, why is this one not, especially this year when they upgraded the front end, making it more aggressive and, you know, more sporty, that that would be the, the click over to get to turn it into an R from an F. But somehow it's still a CB500F. So I'm not, and that's kind of like an off the beaten path observation, but it's one of those things, you know, we're writing reviews, you know, we look around on the website and, you know, Kelly noticed that because she wrote the review. Well, how come this isn't a Neo Sports Cafe bike? And I was looking at it, it's got to be, you know, in my head already, it was. And then when we looked, it wasn't. And I contacted Honda and, and the answer I got was not convincing. You know, I, I could read it, but it doesn't even, it's just, well, we're trying to differentiate. I'm like, what? <laughs> the bike looks exactly like the other one. You can't even, if you wanted to differentiate it, you make it look different somehow, but it looks exactly like the Neo Sports Cafe. So you can, they should just call it a CB500R and be done with it. Is the Neo Sports Cafe range more expensive? No. Is there any sort of premium on them? I mean, maybe, maybe they did that to sort of keep the price down or something? No, because this, you know, the CB300R is in that category. Right. You know, and that's one of the least expensive motorcycles that they, you know, full-size motorcycles that they sell. Well, no, I guess the, the some of them wouldn't, but it's, it's close to as inexpensive as it gets if you want to have, so let's say, 17-inch tires. So, right. you know, okay. you know, that's just kind of a marketing thing, but it's a weird thing that they don't market it, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just one of those oddball things that you run across and you go, huh? What did they, what, what, <laughs> there's somebody in here that doesn't like, somebody in Honda that's like, well, no, 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 we can't call this a 500 R. It's like, well, why not? It looks exactly like the other ones. <laughs> I challenge every one of our readers to go to the Honda website, click on sports. We'll see the four bikes, you know, the 1,650, the 500 and the 300. They all look the same, <laughs> you know, not in a negative way, but they all are very clearly in the same family of bikes. And especially the 500 and the 650 look the same guy designed those two, you know, and he was <laughs> thinking about the same thing when he did it. So who knows? Anyway, <laughs> the ultimate thing about this bike, you know, the, the takeaway from this bike is that it does a lot of things really well. You know, it's a, it's a great commuter bike. It's a great local sport bike. You know, you go on again, Mulholland Drive, the, the urban twisty, right. which you don't go down that way very often, but that's a great road. And if you go at the right time of the day, it's pretty, it's amazingly empty. You know, all the traffic on Mohan Drive can be cross traffic. It's people going between the, you know, the Valley, San Fernando Valley and, and the LA, you know, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Bel Air area. And, but if you're going to cross, nobody does that. So you can haul and you can have a good time. <laughs> it can be empty and it's a really fun road. And where we live is fairly close to there. So we can go up there and, and, you know, just have fun. You can see the ocean from up there. It's, it's, a, it's a great, it's a famous road. It's kind of funny for me to be promoting it, but uh, it's actually kind of an underutilized road in LA. And everybody, when you say Mohan, they all think of Mohan Highway out by the rock store and down into Malibu. But Mohan Drive still has a lot of appeal. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not rush hour, uh, you know, but on a Saturday afternoon, you'd be surprised at how empty that road is. <laughs> and, and the views that you get are, can be just a spectacular view of downtown Los Angeles. There's views of the ocean, Catalina, uh, just even looking in the views of the San Fernando Valley when it's clear or just spectacular. It's, it's a great road. So it's a scenic and fun road. Anyway, this, you can't go super fast on it. 
it's a super it's a super super tight road there's a lot of tight corners right or blind corners they have actually though as i always like to go off topic they actually for the people who are fans of Mulholland drive they have repaved the east end of it which used to be like a motocross track it was just terrible i mean it was you you couldn't go through a corner fast because it was just too bumpy too cracked too uneven just just bad and now it's like oh we wanted you guys to be able to ride a lot faster and a lot smoother so we paved this perfectly <laughs> and it's and it was a good paved job it's not one of those paved jobs like you see in, in malibu where it's super bumpy it's it's the, the road is repaved but they didn't like flatten it out so it's smooth so it's like you're bumping all the time this is like you can go so it's great so anyway for that kind of canyon riding it's it's good now if you go up to somewhere like angeles crest highway which is much faster the bike starts to run out of breath especially if you get the higher altitude even more sure and also the upright seating is not really freeway or high speed friendly you know i didn't talk about this as a commuter bike it's a good commuter bike if long freeway drones aren't in your commuter job if you're commuting you know three or four or five miles maybe 10 miles on the freeway you're okay but if you were commuting 20 or 30 miles on the freeway you'd want to get the honda cb500x which is the adventure version which has a windshield and you'd be much happier riding so this bike because it's truly an upright it's truly a naked although there is a bit of a of a fairing i wouldn't call it fairing but like a shroud around the, the headlight doesn't really make that much difference you know you, you're, you're getting a good wind blast when you're on when you're on the freeway and especially at the you know higher speeds that we like to go when we're trying to get somewhere so it's it's a good urban freeway road freeways like uh, hollywood freeway santa monica freeways places where the speed limit's 55 that's great you know that that bike you can see the same limit when you when necessary and you can go through and, and you're not going to get that big wind blast and it's not those distances aren't very long so it's a really good urban bike. It's good on the urban freeways. It has more than enough power for the freeway. It's not like, you know, a 300, you can take it on the freeway, you're okay. But it's a little, you know, if you're going 70 and you crack the throttle, not much happens. On this bike, you know, you can crank it up to 100, no problem. So at 70, you know, you have good, good acceleration available. If you get a bad situation, usually more throttle helps more than more brake to get you out of the way. So, you know, I always like to have that little extra oomph. And the 500, you know, if somebody's looking, oh, I like to get the 300, I like to get the 500. And then you also have the 650 at the other end. And the 500 slots in nicely there. The 300 is, is you know, much for much less freeway riding, no kind of Angeles Crest sort of thing. Still good for urban riding. Sunset Boulevard, where it's curvy all the way down to the beach is great. Mulholland Drive, it's great. But if you want to get on Angeles Crest, the, the, you know, the 300R, you're going to feel like, eh, it's kind of not enough motorcycle for me. And the other side of the 500 is the CB650R, which is an inline fork. That bike hauls. To me, that's not a beginner bike. That's a bike for somebody who has, you know, experience because it's, you know, based on a Super Sport 600 engine. So you've got, you know, real power there. And so the 500 fits in that middle ground it gives you a lot more flexibility like oh yeah i can go on the faster canyon roads i can do a lot better on the freeway yet you're not giving up a lot of agility and, and comfort and just ease of use in the in traffic or in in town and it's not an inaccessible platform for a new rider okay you know it's always you kind of think well where do you start do you start on the 300 do you start on 500 some people will start on a, you know a 700 i think of 
300 is better. I think the smaller you start is always better. But if you want to go around 500, I'm not going to argue with you too much. <laughs> okay. If somebody wanted to get 700 as a first bike, I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, part of it is just the judgment of the person involved, you know. Of course. But everybody makes mistakes. And if you make mistakes on a smaller motor, you pay a lot less than if you make mistakes on a bigger motor. Yeah, that's, that's true. I was actually going to ask you, assuming that it could potentially be a beginner bike, but is it enough bike to satisfy somebody who is a good intermediate or even an expert level rider? Or would you say, really, no, you need to step up to the 650? Well, you know, those, those terms are an expert riders. You know, he, he, he should be getting on the 650 or the 1000. Sure. An expert rider going to fully appreciate the, the inline floor and the upgraded chassis. Right. No question about that. Not that somebody like me, and I'll say I'm an expert, I'm not the fastest guy, but I'm certainly experienced, can have total fun on it. It's a totally fun bike to ride. Okay. And we all know that riding an underpowered bike, underpowered for your your skill, is always fun. Yes. Because you just get on, yeah, I'm going on. You know, you feel like you're you're the master of your domain, you know. <laughs> Whereas you know, when I'm on the St. Aprilia Tuono V4 factory, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm the master of that bike. I feel like I'm just trying to keep things under control and get home. You know, it's like, yeah, I can go fast, but there's still like a ton left in that. In this bike, you can maybe not ride exactly. Well, you can, yeah, you can ride it pretty much to its limits. If you're dragging the pegs, that's all there is to be had. Right. It's not like it drags the pegs easy. The average owner of this bike will never drag the pegs on it which is good because that tells you that it goes as much as they want it to go. Right. You know, they can ride it as confidently and, and there's still more there. You know, it's not like they're going to ride it to the edge. They're going to ride it to where the bike is still completely competent and safe and, and good. yet still fun. I mean, again, if you're riding all these Mohan drives, you know, there's only so fast you can go. Right. And yeah, you can go out there on a, on a 650. You know, and you can go, you could go faster certainly on the straights and stuff, but boy, there's a lot of driveways and things and, and rocks and other cars. And, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful. And this keeps you like in the normal, relatively safe range rather than out there on the, you know, the edge. Right. So, so there's, there's a lot of fun to be had. If you're an expert rider and you just rode around town a lot, you needed a bike to get here or there. You just wanted to have one. This would be fine. The 650, you'd kind of say, "Ah, that's kind of big for what i'm doing i'm never getting really out of it you know you could be you would be happy with this you wouldn't be mad like oh i've gotten this bike it's not very good <laughs> you know okay you'd be like this is fun but an intermediate's going to be good all right and again the bike will tell you if you start scraping the pegs oh it's time for you to move up you've done a good job you've learned your skills and then it's time to go up you know and try something even bigger but you may just say no you know what this is this is suiting me just fine right but again a novice could ride this bike perfectly well yeah i'd rather see them on a 300 to get started but if not everybody's going to want to buy multiple bikes along the way and and this is a, a really good starting point for especially a bigger rider you know let's say a guy weighs 200 pounds the 300 is going to be a little bit squashed right you know? whereas on this one it can handle a, a bigger rider better than a smaller bike you know you don't want to ride the 300 on a freeway sure 500 you're, you're going to be a bigger rider you know but if you're a small rider, then, you know, the 300 can be great, but the 500 is not overly intimidating. It doesn't do anything where you go, oh, man, what am I doing on this thing? You know, it's always friendly ride. The brakes are friendly. 
the handling is completely neutral. The you know gearbox works great. I mean, it's a Honda. It's already worth mentioning that. The light clutch. It's an outstanding motorcycle. You get a lot to me in in performance and and usability for sixty seven hundred bucks. Right. So you get an ABS motorcycle for your sixty seven hundred dollars. That's impressive. That's great. Right. And the ABS is not you know it's again we're talking a Honda so. The ABS is well behaved. It doesn't come in too soon. You know, uh, I think I triggered it a few times, even in the, for the front wheel. You know, one way to trigger it, of course, on LA roads is the roads are bumpy. So if you're coming into a corner and it's a bumpy corner, right? You know, you'll grab the front brake and then as it goes over a bump, it'll lose traction and, you know, adjust for that. Right. So that's how you kind of know it works. But when the road's smooth, it's, you're going to have to really work hard. You know, you're, you're kind of overriding the bike if, if you're getting ABS when the, when the road's smooth. All right. I take it it's not ride-by-wire. It's going to be just a sort of standard fuel injection, probably with no power motor or anything. It doesn't have any power modes. I mean, you could if it was raining. It wouldn't hurt to have less usually. And yeah. there's no power modes, no traction control, no, no wheelie control, no launch control. <laughs> uh, did I leave any other controls out? No. <laughs> And that's not a criticism. I mean, I wouldn't expect it on a bike at this price point or or of this horsepower. I mean, there's just no point in having that stuff. Right. It's, it's you know, it's, someday we will see all those things on, you know, on a Grand. Right. <laughs> it's the way it will be. You know, those things trickle down and eventually, you know, like fuel injection. You know, originally that was only the best of the best. And now a Grom has fuel injection. And it's good. And ABS. I think the Grom has ABS too. So, you know, these... These features are good. Traction control is good. Even with a moderate power bike like this, you know, if you hit a slick spot, it's, it's good to have traction control. Right. When that comes, that, that will, be, you know, it'll be a thing where it costs them almost nothing because it's all in the, the electronics package. If you have the ABS, you could, you could toss that in there and it will adjust the EFI however it needs to. So, yeah, it, it doesn't have that, but it has electric starting. It has that technology. Sure. But you just push a button. You don't believe this. You push a button and the engine just starts. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it sounds like, you know, the typical Honda. It sounds like a really nice bike that um, is possibly available to, to novices and beginners, but certainly a good intermediate motorcycle that will keep everybody happy. Yeah, I think so. Great. Hey, I appreciate your insight. That's, uh, that's awesome. Sounds like a really fun bike. I love riding motorcycles. And I love talking about them. All right. Thanks, Don. Bye. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of super sport machine. It's called Our World, and the Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours.
In this second segment, I chat with one of my good buddies and riding friends, Alonzo Bowden. You may have seen one of Alonzo's shows as a stand-up comedian. Actually, he won the final of the competition show, Last Comic Standing. We went to see one of his shows a few weeks ago at the Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, California. And let me tell you, he was brilliant. Side-splitting, laugh-out-loud funny. His commentary on people and the human condition is absolutely hilarious. I'd recommend everyone to go see him, especially if you're in need of a laugh. Alonzo is a longtime motorcycle rider and has owned a large variety of machines. He's got some real opinions on the various bikes he's ridden, so I hope you find this section of the podcast as interesting as much as it is funny. If you fancy going to see Alonzo's live show, you can check out his schedule at alonzoboden.com. That's Alonzo with a Z and Bowden spelt with two Ds. You can tell him that Ultimate Motorcycling sent you. So, from all of us here at the magazine, we hope you enjoy this episode. I have to say, TJ and I just freaking loved your show last week, man. Thank you. Thank I've got to tell you, it was really, it was really good. Yeah, you are a very polished performer, I have to say. Well, I, I have to tell you that, you know, it's true. Stupid don't get tired. I mean, it's an unending barrage of of ridiculousness to where like i said the hardest thing now in comedy is being funnier than reality right because <laughs> well right you would not believe i mean most of this stuff going on if somebody told you 10 15 years ago you'd be like no nah, there's no way there's you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's shocking isn't it it's like every every new year i see a whole bunch of facebook stuff and everybody's like thank god glad to get rid of you know 20 whatever it is can't wait for the new year and the new year is even weirder than the last yeah it's like okay let's see what happens next you know it, it's almost if they're trying to outdo the the last year of crazy the last month what i don't know whatever you want to call it and it's it's truly comedic and tragic at the same time right but the good news is for a guy like you you've got tons of material Oh my God, it, it's, you can't, there used to be a time where you could write a joke and you had time to polish it before you perform it. Now it's like, nope, you better do it now because tomorrow there's a whole new new script. Right. New script. Arthur, in the immortal words of, you know, Lewis Black, you know who the comedian is, Lewis Black. Oh yeah, yeah, love Lewis Black, love In him. the immortal words of Lewis Black, because why in the fuck not? <laughs> that's, the, that's the only explanation. Well, why in the fuck not? Why? Why wouldn't that? Happen? Right, right. <laughs> There's somebody, somebody somewhere is thinking, what can I come up with that's even more ridiculous than you know than has just happened? And so far, so far, they're doing a great job. Well, I said this years ago. There is no bottom. There's no bottom. There's no, there's no, oh, they won't get lower than that. Oh, oh yeah, they will. Stick around. Stick around. There's, there's no bottom. There's... <laughs> well, hey, thanks for coming on the, the podcast. I really appreciate it. Man, I love getting to talk about motorcycles for a while. Uh, it, they truly are escape from reality. Yeah. Riding motorcycles, it is truly the, the, the escapism, isn't it? When the world gets too much, you can just go blow the cobwebs away. Well, I say there's nothing better than being alone in my helmet. That's how I describe it. I'm alone in my helmet. Yeah. I hate you. Yeah, that's, so, that's <laughs> so right. When I first met you, you had 
this crazy Ducati monster. Honestly, one of the most beautiful bikes I've ever seen, I think. What happened to that? Let me tell you about that bike. It wasn't a monster. It was a 1098. Okay. Um, I had high-sided it at, at Buttonwillow. Oh. And a friend of mine who was a bike builder, a guy named Nick Inglada down in Florida, sure. I, I high-side the bike. I break my wrist. First thing he asked me, where's the bike? <laughs> I said, thank you, Nick. Thanks for caring. He said, yeah, you'll be fine. I, I need the bike. So I sent him the bike and he he had always been doing those uh, like ZX14s and Hayabusa's, you know, the fat tire right. street bikes, right? Because he's in Florida. There's no cornering in Florida. It's all drag bikes. And he wanted to do a Ducati and he built the most incredible street fighter out of it. He stripped everything off. He put on the stainless tank from the, um, I believe it was from the 1199 he had these beautiful wheels from somewhere in Italy, these gold wheels. He had yeah. the exhaust built by a guy in San Francisco who just hand welded it titanium. The, the bike's magnificent. And I'll tell you what's funny. The bike's about to go on sale again at Pro Italia. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had it for a few years and then I sold it. It just it just got to the point where I could not ride it anymore. I couldn't fold up on, you know, sport bike pegs anymore. And it was sitting in the garage. I said, you know, I love it. I'm going to sell it. Some doctor bought it from Pro Italia. And Bill said the guy just put it in his garage and left it there. So they were I just saw Bill, I think about a week ago. He said they were going through it, you know, getting it ready to run again. And they were going to put it up for sale. So it it should I I don't know if it's up for sale yet. I haven't looked at their website. But that bike was um, that bike was easily more famous than me. (laughs) (laughs) i actually got pulled over by two cops in studio city because one of them loved ducatis and he had seen my bike and he was literally like oh my god that's the bike and his partner was like look man i'm sorry he just really wanted to see your bike (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was spectacular spectacular but that's interesting Thank you. It was. It was truly, I mean, everything on it was just one-off and unique. It was It was a great bike, uh, more show bike than riding. Like one of the things that I did from riding it, he had laser cut these aluminum pieces that outlined the belts, right? So right. they were belt covers, but they literally were like, uh, they followed the exact line of the belt. Well, because I was riding the bike, the vibration cracked them because he didn't plan for it to be ridden. You know, you know, when bike builders, they build something for a show and I'm like, no man, I'm riding it. And then, you know, so we had a few glitches like that, but, uh, but it was, it was a great bike. And ultimately it was a 1098. It was, it was super fast because it was so light and it was 1000% Ducati. Right. Now that, that was definitely. Yeah. Ducati. Yeah. But that was before Ducati made their own 1098 Street Fighter. Right. I've seen you recently on, you know, your GS and ridden with you a couple of times on that. But really, I, I put you down as more of a Triumph guy, aren't you? I mean, you're Triumph Rocket 3. Well, for a long time. So this was my Triumph thing. And I'll tell you, Arthur, I am, I ride everything. Right. So what happened with the Triumph was um, years ago, back in the 90s, I got a Valkyrie when the Valkyrie first came out. Right. I remember. 
And it, the Valkyrie, there was nothing like it. You know, this giant Goldwing engine and a naked bike. It was, it started, I guess, the whole power cruiser thing, right? And, and remember, I'm a big guy. So for me, that, those bikes were perfect. Then the Rocket came out. And I said, the Rocket was the only bike that could out Valkyrie the Valkyrie, <laughs> right. right? The Rocket, it was huge. It was 2.3 liters, you know, yeah. everything on it big. And I had that bike forever because they never came out with anything better. Like it was, it was the biggest, brawniest thing on the road. And that's why I loved the bike. So I had the bike forever and, and I customized it a couple of times. I did the bagger thing with it. And then ultimately we made it a muscle bike. I, I put carbon wheels on it and we got some uh, Olean shocks and painted it. It was really cool. So I had that. And then they came out with the new rocket. So I sold that and I bought the new one. And I have to say, I recently got rid of the new one. I didn't ride it as much because it was more refined. So it was less like the, the original rocket had this raw edge of it's too much. Right. The new one, I think they, they did a lot. They looked at the Diavel and they said, okay, we're going to do the single-sided swing arm and the electronic suspension. We're going to update everything. And it, it was a beautiful bike, but it went kind of from the uniqueness of the rocket to being just a really good motorcycle. I, 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 it's hard to explain, but it didn't have the same feel. Didn't have, quite have that edge. But I mean, I love Triumph. Triumph's made some great bikes. I had a Speed Triple. That was just an awesome, fun bike. Yeah, I've, but I've, I've pretty much ridden and owned uh, just about everything. I'll bet. Is it possible to ask you if you have a favorite or is that just impossible to answer? It's, it's tough, um, but I'll give you some of my favorites, okay? The Valkyrie was one of my favorites. Has to be. The original Hayabusa, the 99 Busa. Oh, for sure, yeah. One of my, my favorites. Um, Did you do anything special to that? Did you stretch it or? No, I didn't stretch it. I actually, um, we put, I forget what exhaust we put on it. We put an exhaust on it and then I put like an Olean shock on it and a race race crafters fork so it would um, so it would handle a little better. But I wasn't really a drag race guy. Um, I was right. more a canyon guy, but it was oh. it was too big to be fully a canyon bike. Uh, but <laughs> I think the underappreciated thing about the Hayabusa was the incredible torque that engine makes. Yeah. You know, you could you could put it in third gear and just ride it everywhere, anywhere, just on the torque wave. And I used to say, when you when you open a throttle on a Hayabusa, it didn't accelerate, it just sucked the world in towards you. It was the strangest <laughs> kind of, you know, because it was, again, just nothing like it, but that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I would say Ducati, probably the Diavel. I love the Diavel. You've had a Diavel? I had a couple of them. I had the first generation when they came out in what was it like 2011? or something like that. Yeah, about that. And then I had the uh, the 1260, which I think was what, 2019 or something, it came out. Something like that. Um, yeah, something like that. So I've had a couple of those. Yeah, that that's another bike. You know, it's funny, they couldn't categorize it. Like when it came out, they said it's a cruiser. I'm like, this isn't a cruiser. To me, the Diavel was always a big naked bike. It was like a giant monster, you know? Um, it was. I never thought of it as a cruiser, but 
that was uh, that was another bike that I really liked and was fun to ride. It sort of invented like a, a kind of almost a hybrid class, really, because I went on the initial launch of it and and they launched the bike in southern Spain on these canyon roads. And we were all like, what the heck? This is a this is a cruiser with this, you know, 300 millimeter rear tire, this big fat rear tire. We're like, this is going to be just an awful ride. But actually, it was fantastic. The bike handled really well. Yeah, when um, when it came out, um, Bill from Pro Italia, you know, because right. obviously I've dealt with them a lot over the years. He said, he said, you know, this new bike's coming out. He said, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's a cruiser or a street bike or whatever. He said, but I think you're going to like it. And he was right. I mean, I rode it and I just, I loved it. Uh, and yeah, it was definitely what you said. It was a hybrid. They they initially said it was a cruiser and it was like, right. oh no, this is not a cruiser. This is, uh, well, you know what it is? It's Ducati's version of a cruiser, right? Ducati takes a cruiser and said, yeah, but we got to make it handle like a Ducati and it has to look Italian and this, you know. So. And it's got to be quite fast, yeah. Yeah. Where they launched it, we pulled away from the hotel and there was this sort of Spanish um, freeway with almost no on-ramp. I mean, the on-ramp was about 30 feet long with a stop <laughs> sign. And I'm sitting at this stop sign and all this traffic's whizzing past at, you know, 80 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, there is, how on earth are we going to pull onto this flipping freeway? So I thought, well, there's only one way to do it. And that's just gas the hell out of this thing. Even though I've ridden about a hundred yards of it, I've got no idea what it's going to do. But <laughs> I just got to trust, trust in the Lord and hit the frog. <laughs> Not for the first time I had. And so, like, okay, drop the clutch, hit the thing. Oh my God. I mean, this thing, the front wheel came up. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, not by March, but holy moly, this thing really, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, this is. This is not a cruiser. <laughs> yeah. The other bike I would put on my favorites is the GS, the GS Adventure. That yeah. is truly the one bike that could do everything. I would describe that. I said, this is an elephant that can dance ballet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I've watched you ride that thing and you, you can definitely push it. Yeah, and, and I've seen people, I actually had one guy, he's a fan, and he said, if you ever want to do track days on your GS, I'll teach you how. And he <laughs> does track days on a GS. I'm sure you've seen those videos where, yeah. where road racers get on a GS and they're passing sport bikes. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, as uh, one, of my, uh, one of my dearest friends carries, he's one of these guys that likes to ride prepared. So... His bags are chock-a-block full of tools. And there was one time we were out in Death Valley and somebody got a stone in their radiator and he was mortified the fact that he hadn't brought a funnel with him so that we could, you know, top up the radiator. <laughs> like the one thing he hadn't brought was a funnel. <laughs> and so now he carries a selection of those as well. So he's that kind of guy. He's got, of course. His bags are chock-a-block full of, you name it, he's got it, got it with him. This bike must weigh... 900 pounds fully loaded <laughs> and, and yet he can push this thing through corners like you wouldn't believe and yeah i guess the more weight you're carrying the better the tires stick i don't even know what the engineering is but it's just some things some things are just designed that well and i would say the gs is one of them so i recently switched from the gs to the rt and i'm not sure yet and and the RT is a phenomenal bike. Um, I was just talking to our mutual friend Joe about this. Right. 
the elect the new electronics do not work and it is very annoying they have this app that connects through your phone to the big tft screen okay um, i'm sure you've seen it sure i don't know how much you used it i i have not so here's a problem every time you start the bike you have to wait about a minute to, to make sure the app connects to the screen by Bluetooth, right? Right. And then it's another connection between the Wi-Fi and the bike to get the map to show up. Now, if you, if you take off riding with the Bluetooth, but not the map, and the map doesn't connect, either you have to stop and redo it, or you have to ride without a map. It'll give you turn by turn, but there's no map to look at. And this is the real pain in the ass. This is what's going to kill me with this bike. This is every time you start it, right? So you leave your house, you plug in your navigation where you're going, blah, blah, blah. Stop for gas. Right. You got to do the whole thing again. What? Because you shut the bike off and turned it on. So you have to do it again. You have to, you have to, you don't have to reprogram it, but you have to wait to make sure it does the connection right. so that the programming works. Meanwhile, all your buddies have all, have all ridden off because they've all filled up already. Exactly. So I'm like, you know, the old bikes had that little Garmin unit, right? Right. And it mounted the bike and you sure. punch in, I'm going to Joe's, you know, cafe and you rode off and it, it connected with the, and I'm like, did that work too well? Was there someone at BMW said, oh, no, 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 that's working just fine. We're going to have to screw that up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's the kind of thing that makes it annoying to ride the bike, if that makes sense. Now, I know some people watching this are going to be like, oh, man, what a first world problem. And it's in it. But it's like, no, it, it's it's a glitch that shouldn't be there. Right. You know, like like if you're in your car, if you have Apple CarPlay, right, you start your car. It hooks to your phone and it's there. And it's like, either give me that or don't fuck with it. <laughs> exactly. It's like keyless fobs. And I've never figured out why they put them on motorcycles. They're great for cars. Mm -hmm. But on motorcycles, why am I fumbling around? Why, I mean, I'm, why don't you just have just a key that you just put in and turn it? And if you're going to supply me with a key fob, at least give me a way to defeat it. So that if I've forgotten it, there's some, I can put in like a little secret code somewhere and, and, and make the thing run. Because if that key fob stops working, you are hosed. I think, didn't Ducati do that, that they had a code you could punch in? I think they did at one point, but BMW do not. BMW, no. If BMW, if you lose the key fob or if you leave it somewhere and you, you like don't turn off the bike, because then yeah. you're screwed. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's like the answer to the question that nobody asked. Well, the guy who sells key fobs said, I got a great idea. <laughs> right? Because if you lose one, if you lose yeah. one, they cost like $300. They're not cheap, you know, to replace. Yeah, a buddy of mine got stuck in Peru. I think it was. I think it was Peru or Chile or one of those. And the key fob stopped working. And he got stranded there for three weeks because the key fob is linked to the VIN number. Right. They had to recreate it in Germany and ship it out. To yeah, you. they have to program it or you have to buy a new ECU and fob together. Because I had a, um, I had a Goldwing Rune, which was a, this beautiful custom bike Honda made. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. somebody stole my keys. Like my house got robbed and they stole all my keys. 
And that was one of the oh, keys man. they stole. And it was $2,500. I mean, thankfully insurance covered it, but it was $2,500 because they had to put a new ECU on the bike matched to a new key. They couldn't, you couldn't recreate the old one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that Rune was a beautiful bike though. That thing was it was a work of art, but let me tell you something. You better like polishing chrome. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that thing had, I mean, it was, again, it was just beautiful. It had that leading link front fork. Yeah. You could watch the suspension go up and down, oh, yeah. but all of that was chromed. And then the wheels were chrome. And then, you know, and then the chrome was chrome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so if you're living at the beach, you've got a big problem. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if you hit a puddle, you were like, all right, I'm going home. I have to go home and get a different bike. Now, you know, you know how I felt? I felt like Harley riders must feel every day because they, they're into polishing. I'm not into polishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of destinations, I know you're a big Americade guy. And do you ride there or do you fly there and then rent a bike? I rode there once. Um, you know, the, the cross-country ride was on my bucket list. Right. So I rode from L.A. to New York for AmeriCade. And it was one of the few experiences I could say exceeded my expectations. It was, it was fantastic. I went through the central route. So it was highway 50 which is the two lane and then i70 which is the interstate right and i would go back and forth like i rode across nevada on highway 50 they call it the loneliest road in america i don't know if you've ever ridden it two lanes and when they they are not kidding you can go an hour and not see anyone or anything just be riding wow and then that led up through the mountains of utah above salt lake city and then you go up to Denver and you come back down and then Arthur, you hit the corn. <laughs> oh, and once you hit the corn, we got a lot of corn, my friend. We got ne Nebraska, Kansas, right. Illinois. Oh, you, it's all just corn. You're like, what, what are we doing with all this corn? How, you, you, I said, I said, you don't even measure in miles. You measure in days of corn. Like, okay, I'm in my third day of corn. I'm almost there. Wow. But but it was, a, it was a fantastic ride. Um, I was chasing a rainstorm. So every afternoon I would be in the rain, which for me as an LA rider was a great education on riding in the rain because I never do it. Right. I learned to do it. That ride was, uh, was really fun. What, what bike were you on? I was on a BMW K1600, the GT. So the, the ultimate sport touring bike. This was funny, people like, you're going to ride across the country by yourself. I was like, I'm on a new BMW and I have a credit card. I will be fine. All right. This is, it's not 1941. It's not an adventure. This bike will be fine. I'll be fine. You know, and it did. The bike didn't miss a beat. Yeah. It was the GT or the GTL? The GT. The GT. So not the one with the big bag at the back. Yeah. The bag of version. You know, the, the problem with the GTL is, you know, again, I'm six foot three, right? right? And the seat is so scooped, yeah. you can't get comfortable. It's too low. Yeah. Bikes like that with that dished out seat never work for me because you can't get the leg room. You have to buy another seat basically or have a seat custom made. So I've always liked the GTL, but I couldn't get comfortable with it. Yeah, I prefer the GT actually for exactly the same reason. And I once took... Um a lady friend passenger on the back. And 
I've kind of got the opposite problem. I mean, I'm six foot tall, but the being above chose to make me this very weird shape where I'm all legs and no body. <laughs> so, so, when I, so when I sit down and I look around and she's up above me and she's swaying around in the breeze like a giant palm tree. And I'm looking at my shoulder like, oh my God. And all the winds going over the windshield. And she absolutely hated it. And it was purely just the seat. So in order to even just make this relatively short ride work, I put a big cushion for me to sit mm -hmm. on just to try and make the seat the same height. And actually, it kind of helped a bit. It, it did actually kind of help, but it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, the, you know, the thing with motorcycles and the ergonomics, it's almost like they're designed for a specific person. Like, right. okay, you have to be between 5'8 and 5'10 and weigh 170 pounds or else this won't be comfortable right. you know you you you're gonna have to lower the pegs you're gonna have to raise the seat and it and nothing's adjustable right you have to buy everything yeah that you want to do it it really is an annoyance so to me it's like when i buy a bike it's like okay there's going to be another thousand bucks to make it fit you know there's just no way around that yeah, well, I, you know, as a big guy, I can definitely imagine that you've definitely got more of a problem than I have. But uh, but yeah, I definitely have had my challenges with it. Yeah. And then sport bikes, I think it, I'm going to say it was around 04, 05. Maybe it was the Danny Pedrosa era or something when they just decided, OK, we're going to make these as small as possible, like open class bikes are going to be the same size as I mean, I honestly just gave up the idea of riding a sport bike just became it's not going to happen. They are so I get it. You know, it's supposed to be smaller and lighter, smaller and lighter. But the I at some point it's like, yeah, but you want to be able to ride this thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So in terms of riding, if you've crashed a button willow, that sounds like you've tried a bit of racing. Well, I've done some track days. Yeah, I haven't done as many as, you know, you guys are some of you guys are track junkies, Joe and, and some of that crew. I didn't do right. it enough to get that fast. So I would say the fastest I've ever been in track days is the front of Group B. That's respectable. That's very respectable. Yeah, I was never comfortable in the fastest group. Like I didn't want to be the slowest guy in the fastest group. I did that once and that's no fun. That it's it's not fun to be that guy. So I may do it again. I, I um I I have a BMW Mega Moto for me works as a track bike. So I may do it again on that, but I haven't been on a track. The last time I was on a track, as a matter of fact, it was the go-kart track at Willow Springs on a Grom which was just a blast. <laughs> Alonzo, I gotta say that must have been hilarious to watch. Absolutely. I would love to watch Alonzo Bowden, a six foot three trying to ride a <laughs> on a go-kart track. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what was even funnier. I don't know if you know Young Lee, who has the M1 GP, which he teaches road racing to kids. Okay. And that's who does the go-kart tracks. Well, they use those little, um, what is it? The CRF 50, the little Honda. Okay. And they put street tires on them. And these kids, you know, five, six, seven years old race these things. So I rode one of their bikes. I <laughs> How did you even get on it? How did you get your legs on? Oh, it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know how clean your podcast is, but there's a phrase called, uh, you know, a monkey fucking a football. 
that is what I look like. Okay. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> but it was, you know, it, that kind of thing is so much fun. And what the other thing that's super fun, right, yeah. is watching these little kids because they're little kids, right? So if you're seven years old and you low side a fifth little 50 cc honda mini bike well you just roll over twice and then you get up get back on it and keep going you know and it's really like what he's doing and it's really fun to watch these kids yeah. because they're fearless yeah. and they don't get hurt and these kids are dragging me and everything i mean they are riding you know they're they're they, because they don't know any better, right? They don't know you're not supposed to do that. They don't know you're supposed to be scared to do that. Right. All they know is open the throttle and go. And, and it was really cool. It was really fun to be out there with them. Yeah, I'll bet. So you've got um, an adventure bike, but have you taken it off-road? Have you done any off-road stuff? I haven't done, I just did some um, dirt and gravel roads in Arizona, like outside of Phoenix on it, but, um, you mentioned Triumph. Triumph took me on the launch of their new Explorer, and we were in Portugal. And oh, we not. spent a whole day outside on a, um, a basically a Portuguese adventure riding school where we did okay. all of it. Like you rode trails, you rode through a, a little river, you had to climb up and down hills. It's fun. It's not really my thing. I think dirt bikes are something if you grow up with dirt bikes, then it's fun. To me, it was like, it was great and I get it, but it wasn't, it wasn't something where I came home and said, man, I got to, you know, plan a ride to Colorado and do some adventure bike riding. Like it didn't, it, it wasn't that for me. It wasn't that yeah. for me. Yeah, I've kind of, I've got the sort of same thing. I mean, I grew up in England, so we don't ride dirt in the, as much as everyone does in America. I've always, you know, envied the, the, the kids that grew up in America, certainly of, of our kind of age anyway because they all had little dirt bikes and their parents would say, you know, get outside, stop watching the fucking TV and get outside and, you know, ride your bike. And I always thought that was, that must've been really cool to grow up like that. But yeah, I grew up in New York city. So they, they, mini bikes and dirt bikes, they weren't legal anywhere. Now they, they, you know, ride them around in those crazy clubs. And you know, the, the thing about those kids, right. Riding those dirt bikes in the city, it's fully illegal what they do, but their skill level is to be admired. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But I never, like you say, I never got the skill off road, so I can't read the terrain. And I just know right. that at some point I'm going to, because I know how to ride a motorcycle, same as you. I mean, I, I, I can ride pretty well, so... I'm going to get way overconfident. I'm going to be barreling along going, oh, this feels pretty good. And there's going to be something, you know, a corner that I misjudge or a giant pothole that I don't see or something. And it's all going to end up getting. Yeah. It, and it's it's opposite of the street, right? It's use the rear brake instead of front brake. Right. That That's one thing you learn right away, you know, and the bike the bike corners lower than you so instead of you leaning inside of the bike you're pushing the bike down and again it's just a different kind of a different instinct where if you grow up riding it you're used to it yeah. like i remember they used to say the reason nikki hayden was so good because he came up riding dirt bikes so guys like him and stoner could let the bike slide underneath them because they were used to the bike moving around whereas the road race guys weren't comfortable with zero traction. You know, Nikki and, and Stoner 
would ride. Stoner was crazy. You'd see Stoner, the rear end sliding and the front's doing a wheelie. So it's like, okay, you're completely out of control right now, aren't you? And yet he wasn't, right? That was amazing. Yeah, those guys are unbelievably skilled. Yeah, I, I, so I just never, I never got there with that. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, those those guys are crazy. I remember I rode, uh, I rode Phillip Island a few years ago at the Jix a Thousand launch, and I'm riding around. It's awesome racetrack. It's faster than hell. And I'm going around thinking, where's that corner that, you know, that Stoner, you know, the classic one where Stoner's taking it full throttle, you know, it's now named Stoner Corner. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. where the hell is it? And finally, I'm like, wait a minute, I think it's turn three. Holy crap, turn three is barely a turn, let me tell you. So Kevin Schwantz was there. So when we had a break, I, I was talking to him. I said, Kevin, what, what speed are you going through turn three? He said, oh, he said, I'm tapped out in fifth gear. <laughs> tapped out in fifth gear on a Jix 1000 is about, eh, give or take, about a buck 70. I'm thinking, dude, I mean, I could maybe consider doing that at 70, mm -hmm. maybe, even a, maybe even 100 if I was really getting crazy. I am not going to be sliding the rear the way those MotoGP guys do at 170 miles an hour. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, their, their level of talent is otherworldly. And, you know, I um, I got to watch um, the Grand Prix at Coda, Circuit of the Americas, with Ben Skies. I had met him years before, and he's basically talking me through the lap. And it was like, okay, you're you're from a different planet, you know? And he said to me one time, he said, you know, when you're braking so hard that the tire comes off the rim? And I was like, no, Ben, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to break that hard, but uh, apparently you do. And it, he had done that in World Superbike in South Africa. It was like, yeah, Ben, no, I, I've never braked that hard. I, you know, it's like I said in Why We Ride, if I'm dragging my elbow, that's the first part of the crash. You're just seeing it in slow motion. <laughs> it's not coming back up if I'm dragging my elbow. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. I once went down in uh, turn eight at Willow Springs at Big Willow. That's, that's the fast one. That's very fast, very fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the wind, the wind, which is a a wind from behind you when you're going down the 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 straight, turns into a side wind. You know, when you go into turn eight, and it just pushed away the front, and I'm like, oh shit, I've crashed. No, no, actually, I'm still crashing. <laughs> kept, kept going and kept going i'm like oh dang yeah it's kind of funny how time slows down right like when i when i high-sided and broke my wrist i honestly remember being in mid-air thinking oh this is gonna hurt <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah this is gonna be this is not gonna go well yeah yeah there you go yes earth sky earth sky ambulance <laughs> yeah. Which is something else MotoGP riders do that's unbelievable. Like, yeah, I crashed at 150 miles an hour, but I'll be ready for the next session. Like, I'll be ready for qualifying. And I'm going to go through the same corner, and I'm not going to back off anything. Right. Not not even going to think about it. There's no that self-preservation instinct where, I don't know about you, but there's been times when I'm telling my hand, 
turn the throttle, turn. And my hand's like, no, no, we're not turning the throttle. We're not. <laughs> Actually, to be perfectly honest with you, conversely, I've had the opposite. No, 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 you sh really shouldn't be doing this. No, I'm turning the throttle at all. And I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the sort of, you know, like the Dr. Strange love, you know, the Peter Sellers, the doc. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Arthur, no, a wheelie is not a good idea at this point. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 oh well yeah so you've had a pretty varied career did you grow up on motorcycles i mean did you just start when you were a kid no i grew up loving motorcycles um i went on my first bike ride i was about seven years old and there was a guy who rented land well his family rented land from my grandmother my grandmother had a big farm and he would take us for rides on this dirt road and looking back it had to be either a BSA or a Triumph because it was a British bike. That's all I remember. But there was that feeling of like just being on the back of that bike that I fell in love with it right away. And I tell people, I still love it. Like it's still the same thing, you know? So as a kid, I always wanted a bike and my dad wouldn't let me get one. He wouldn't let me get a mini bike, even when I saved up the money or whatever. So I got my first bike when I was 18. But when I bought my Grom, I said, I'm buying this because I couldn't have a mini bike as a kid. So I'm buying a mini bike now. <laughs> and I don't care what I look like. <laughs> yeah, it's always been it's always been a passion. I think there have been maybe there was maybe a five year period in my life, four or five year period where I, things were really down that I didn't have a motorcycle. But other times I've had, you know, always had at least one, at least one and and the reason I love talking to you and being around the bike culture and the bike world, I say this is the only place you never have to explain why you have three bikes or four bikes or five bikes. Because the only thing they're going to ask you is, why don't you have two more? You know, right. That's exactly <laughs> it. The perfect number of bikes in a collection is just one more. Just one more. Exactly. Just one more. I'm yeah. pretty sure even Leno feels that way. Even oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> the biggest restriction to collectors, I think, is not so much the money, it's more of the space. That That's all, what it's always been with me. I've never had space to be a collector. So I'm, you know, I'm buying and trading and selling and this and that because I don't have a barn or a warehouse where I can keep 25 bikes or something like that. Like, um, I don't know if you know Mike Seat from Cafe Racer. Sure, yeah. So he lives in this little town outside of Pittsburgh and he has like a 4,000 square foot warehouse that he rents for like, I don't know, a thousand bucks a month or something like, yeah, this is LA. That's, oh, wow. that's not what real estate costs here, you know? So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh yeah. That's awesome. So I guess my final question to you is, is, I mean, obviously you've got a bucket list. I mean, everybody has a bucket list. What is your bucket list ride? You know what? I don't know if it's my bucket list, but the ride that I want to do that there's no excuse for me not having done is the Iron Butt, the uh, thousand mile in 24 hours. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, that's what I want to do. I want to do the Iron Butt ride and, um, you know, and document it the whole way. They tell you you got to stop for gas and take pictures of the receipts and all of that. Yeah, I really, uh, I want to do that. I want to do that. Just something about going out alone or just with a car. I don't like riding with a big group. On occasion I do, but but it's the meditative part. And and that, yeah, that 24 hour ride, thousand miles. I want to do that. That's on the list. Okay. 
And, and which bike will you take? Not a Grand, presumably. No, I'm not going to do it on the Grand. No, I, that's a BMW K bike. That's, you know, when people are like, oh, that's the easy way. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. When you, when you get older, if you're lucky enough to make a little bit of money and you get a full dress touring bike, you learn that that's what you want to tour on. Yes, a bike that's made for you to be comfortable. I, I don't need to prove anything to you. <laughs> it kind of surprises me that you haven't said the GS actually, because the GS would be perfect. The GS would work perfect also. The, um, the six is smoother and you get, the, you get a little more wind protection. Yeah, a GS would would do it easily, and and I may end up back on a GS having you know trying this RT thing. I think I may end up back on the GS. Um, we'll see. We'll see. The RT is more comfortable, but the GS has a certain presence to it that no other bike has. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hey man, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. This has been fun. And and as I said, I admire your your writing, your experiences, and the magazine is is great. I yes. Thank you for that. I'm happy it's still there. Yeah, it is. We're hanging on by our fingernails. Have been for years. Yeah, hey, listen, I many have fallen off. And there's some of the like, I don't know, the, I guess because I grew up reading about them before I could have one. I'm always connected to reading about bikes and I love reading about bikes and different experiences and your magazine. I've said this before, you still talk about the bikes where a lot of them, they started talking about, I don't, I don't even know what they started talking about, but they forgot the, yeah, maybe you want to test a motorcycle. Maybe you want to tell me what, what's different between this and that, you know? Yeah. My, my guys do a great job. I have to say. Yeah. Well, thanks. <clears throat> Appreciate the kind words. Um, we will definitely come and watch your show again. It was absolutely awesome. If uh, if somebody if somebody wants to come and, and see you, are you? Um, well, I'm I'm about to head to Montreal. I'm going to be up in Canada for a couple of weeks, and then Martha's Vineyard, uh, which is off of Boston, in August. Because I'm crazy, I'll be in Vegas the last week of August at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club in at the MGM Hotel. So come to Vegas in the summertime because, you know, it's not hot enough wherever you are. <laughs> and just go to alonzoboden.com. The schedule is always on the website. Absolutely. All right. I'm sure people will. It's uh, he's a very funny guy and a, and a great motorcycle rider. Pleasure, Alonzo. Talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. I'll see you around the rock store.